cry out to me. You find the phrase throughout the scriptures. God imploring and compelling his people to cry out to him. And so I'd like you to turn in uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. To Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And verse 46 and verse 47. And it says, And they came to Jericho. And as Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the story goes on to tell that the, that the people that were there, the disciples that were around Jesus, the people that were gathered, tried to shut Bartimaeus up. And you can imagine in a, in a church service, if somebody starts crying out to God, you know, the ushers would probably be right there and say, you know, this is church. This isn't where you cry out to God. You need to get yourself composed together. So they were trying to compose him and get him to calm down. And, and stop making, this is Jesus, very important, he's going by. And so Bartimaeus was not going to be calmed. He just continued to cry out to the Lord. And if you put yourself in Bartimaeus' shoes, Bartimaeus is blind. And th there goes healing. He can't see him, but he, he knows that it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he's about to leave town and take healing with him. So Bartimaeus is not going to be silenced. Are you, are you listening to me? And it doesn't matter what kind of ceremony or, or what, what's going on. There goes Jesus. There goes healing. And he cries out. Jesus knows they're trying to quiet Bartimaeus down, but he won't shut up, and he keeps crying out. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says Jesus stopped. Our cries will stop. Jesus from leaving town and taking the miracle you need with him. Are you listening to me? And Jesus stopped and he turned around and he said, bring that man to me. Bartimaeus flung off his coat and you could just see him awkwardly staggering because he's blind towards Jesus and they grab him and they guide him and they bring him and Jesus rhetorically says, what would you like? As, as though it was going to be anything other than, I need to be healed. I want my sight back. And so he does. He asks for his sight back, and Jesus heals him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it awesome? But that wouldn't have happened had it not been for the crying out. And he would not be silent. And he kept crying out. He embarrassed himself. He embarrassed the crowd. The crowd were, was embarrassed by this blind man's behavior. But guess what? Jesus was glorified. And oftentimes, when we, God's people, embarrass ourselves pursuing Jesus, sometimes making a mess of ourselves pursuing Jesus, we let people see we're weak, we need Jesus. We're desperate, we want Jesus. We're thirsty, we're hungry for Him. That's what opens the door for Jesus to glorify Himself. It makes me wonder what our church services are all about. The formalities that we go through, the things that we do. When there's little technical glitches, how it throws us off. Can you say amen? amen. 
The Holy Spirit brought me a message in a dream this past Wednesday night. I had just flown in. I'd gotten in. My mind and heart was filled with all that had gone uh, on in the previous week. And I went to sleep. And in my sleep, the Lord came to me. And he spoke to me. And he gave me a message. It was so powerful. I woke up in the middle of the night, went out into the living room, and just sat and just talked to the Lord about it. And then I, I wanted desperately to go back to sleep and let the Lord talk to me some more without me having to stay awake. But uh, I, I couldn't and I had to sit down and write. I, I hope that, that you believe that God speaks to us in our sleep and in dreams. And I hope that you're always keeping the Bible nearby and you're always keeping a notepad and a pen handy. And uh, I always keep one handy and so I turn my little light on and sat down just begin to write these simple things that the Lord gave me. So out of them, I'm just appealing to you this morning as the Lord appealed to me. Cry out to me. The Lord said, kept saying to me in the dream, it is the time, it is the season for the rain. So cry out to me for the rain for the land. This is the time. This right now is the season. And if you spend too much time looking too intently at what the devil is doing and what the world and what society is doing, you'll miss hearing God say, Now is the time for my outpouring upon the land. Therefore you cry out to me for the rain upon the land. Now this is not a prophecy of what's going to come to pass. This is a command of what to do. And if we do it, it'll come to pass. Too often we hear God prophetically speak to us and it, it calms and it brings faith. But what it also does sometimes is it causes us to sit back and say, well, God's, God said it, he's going to do it. Guess what's coming? God is sending the rain. Oh boy, praise the Lord, revival's coming. And we just go about our routine. Everyone say routine. You know what routine is. Routine's like a, like a rut. You're, you're stuck in it. You can't get out. And a rut is what? A grave with the ends kicked out. So we go about our routine and we think, wow, a river's coming. The river of God's going to fill this rut that I'm in. But God says, cry out to me, which is get out of that rut and lift up your voice and lift up your hands. Begin to cry out to me and call that rain down. Pray that rain down. And that's the message I want to bring to you this morning. That God is saying, pray the rain down. Just don't think that God is like nature. God is not Mother Nature. And just, you know, the, the, the weather patterns being what they are, they do what they do. But God moves oftentimes crossways of nature. He operates through His Word. The Bible says He does nothing without first telling His prophets. And so when God speaks to us, He wants us to run after that word, hasten after it, and cry out to Him. Can you say amen? amen. So as Jesus is departing Jericho, He's leaving town. He, do you get that? He's, he's leaving town. And it's <clears throat> that scripture always amazed me. Uh, in Mark where it says, And Jesus came into Jericho, and Jesus went out of Jericho. And it says nothing in between. He came into Jericho. He went out. You know, that's, how, that's what it's like in our churches most many times. 
That's what it's like in our homes. He comes in, there's nothing said, nothing written, because nothing happens, and then he goes out. He comes in, and then he leaves. He comes in, and then he leaves. We can't afford to have Jesus come into our country and leave. We can't afford to have him come into our city and leave. If he's here, we need him to reign. We need that rain to fall. We need to, Jesus to do his Jesus thing. Can you say amen? And he was about to walk out of Jericho, but Bartimaeus cried out. When Bartimaeus, the only man in the town who saw the opportunity that was in that city, and he was blind. And he cried out, Jesus, don't pass by. Don't pass by. Don't leave. Son of David, have mercy on me. We don't like disturbing God. We like staying in our routine. We think God really appreciates order. And God is a God of order. God is certainly not a God of chaos. But God, God doesn't collect things so that he can polish them and display them and look at them and go, hmm, that is really nice. But the Bible says we were created in the image and likeness of God because God is a God of engagement. He's a God of fellowship. And fellowship can get messy. Fellowship can get spontaneous. God wants reaction. God wants engagement. God wants response from us. He doesn't want us to just be like the stars in the planets. He doesn't want us to be like winter, spring, summer, and fall, just predictably going through the routines. He wants us to cry out for harvest in the middle of winter. He wants us to cry out for coolness in the heat of summer. God wants us to seek Him because He's there regardless of the opportunity. Am I penetrating? anybody's cranium this morning. So Jesus is about to depart from Jericho and Bartimaeus cries after him and he stops Jesus from leaving Jericho and taking healing with him. God is stopped by our crying out to him. God spoke to the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament and he said to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be captain over my people, that he may save my people out of the land of the Philistines. Look, God's aware of the politics. God's aware of the social distress in Samuel's day. God is aware of what's going on in the nation. And more than being aware, he cares. He sees the oppression. God dislikes the oppression more than the oppressed dislike the oppression. And he wants to do something about it. God wants to respond to the evil that he sees. He wants to respond to the darkness that has crept over the land. God wants to respond. While so many people sit around and say, why isn't God doing something? Why isn't, where is the Lord's response? But the Bible says, and I'll say this, I've said it before, usually nothing happens till God makes a prophet mad. I mean, think about it. God provokes a prophet who goes and acts, and then God responds to that crying out to him. Nothing changes until God makes the head of the house angry, till God makes a prophet angry, till God uh, makes the person who is in the place 
uh, of a decision, the place of accountability, stirs them up, makes them angry, makes them uh, to where they detest the evil and they can't put up with it any longer and they cry out to God. They don't go flailing at the enemy. They don't go railing against people. They don't go and, and, and with a wide, uh, with a broad sword slashing their way through their opponents. They cry out to God. Because God's solutions are permanent solutions. Psalm 46 says, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. He makes wars to cease under the ends of the earth. How does he do it? He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear asunder. He burns the chariot in the fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted. When God is brought into the battle, the battle's over when God's finished. And the way it's over is the weapons are, of the enemy are destroyed. Think about it. God's strategy is to always put crying out to him at the tip of the spear. Not the military, not the arm of the flesh, but those that cry out to him and bring him on the scene. Hallelujah. And he puts them in front of the army. And then when the army arrives at the battlefield, the enemy of turned against themselves. They've wiped each other out and the army's job is just collect up the spoil. Go home and live in peace. Praise the Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd like to see the, the media today have to report on that. A revival sweeps through the land and those that were shaking their fists and angry and serving the devil and filled with the spirit of Antichrist through their ignorance, are now praising Jesus Christ and lifting Him up. God's opened up their eyes. Hallelujah. He swept them into His kingdom. How does that happen? Those that know the Lord cry out to Him. Cry out to God. Hallelujah. And so God says to Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man out of the land of Benjamin. You will anoint him to be captain over my people. He will lead my people, Israel. Praise the Lord. Out from under the hand of the Philistines. Listen, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come up to me. Why did God look upon his people? Because they needed him? No. Because they were being wronged? No. Because there was oppression? No. We make a God, we make a calf, a false calf, out of our trials, out of oppression. Have you noticed today that it is popular in culture to take injustice and refine it into a golden calf and then use it as a political weapon to beat people into submission? We worship oppression. We use it to justify our own oppression. Joshua stood on the battlefield before the battle took place against Jericho. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing on a hill with his sword drawn. And Joshua said, are you for our enemies or are you for us? And the angel of the Lord said, neither, but I have come for the Lord, for I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. There's a third option today. And that option is Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is eternal King of glory. His kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy reigns. And we can give this world an opportunity if we will cry out to Jesus. And what the enemy has meant for evil, God 
can stop it. God can turn it around and he can use it for good. I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Why did God inject himself into Israel's business, which was God's business, time and again? And why, when they got themselves in trouble and continued to get deeper in trouble, was he silent? And was he standing back and was he not involving himself? David cried out many times in Psalm, where are you? Why are our enemies prospering? Why is all this happening? Because no one's crying out to God. Isaiah said, Isaiah said, the Lord looked for an intercessor. He was looking for somebody who was crying out to him. And it says he marveled that there was nobody stirring themselves up to cry out to God. So his own arm brought salvation. So what I'm saying to you this morning is that Israel, a, a theocracy, a religious society, far more than America is, far more than our land or our region, those people had a routine of religion. Their whole national life was uh, 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 built around religion. There, there was no argument going on. There were no court cases. There was certainly no, no House of Representatives or Senate sitting there passing laws about whether God and his covenant and his word were true. Uh, Lex Rex, the law of God, ruled, ruled that nation. And yet, God was standing on the outside as they were being whittled down and oppressed time and time and time again after, uh, uh, throughout history. Why was that? Because nobody was crying out to God. God was sending the rain, but nobody was praying it down. I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Crying out to God is not average prayer. Some of us don't even practice average prayer. But crying out to God is not average prayer. Crying out to God is routine-breaking prayer. It's disorder. It's, it is not prayer as usual. It's not routine prayer. The routine prayer that would allow Jesus to pass by and take his healing with him. How often in our gatherings, this church, in this church service, do we gather together and we pray and we let the Lord walk in and walk right out? And nothing happens because we just practice routine prayer. Instead of realizing Jesus, the opener of eyes, the healer of the lame, the raiser of the dead, he is here. The answer's here. Is there not a Bartimaeus who will cry out? Is there not a spirit of Bartimaeus in us? Routine, religious routine, good routine, is our prison. We are entombed in religious routine. Are you listening? Yeah. We're not entombed in the pursuit of evil. We are entombed in the practice and the routine of religion. And Jesus walks into those routines, walks right out of them. We celebrate. He has set me free. Oh, he has set me free. Jesus is my healer. It's in our theology. It's in our songs. And yet, we are in need. We are in need of a deliverer. We are in need of a visitation from God. And the Lord is so desiring to bring that visitation to us. When we interrupt our routine of religion by crying out to God, then God will interrupt the routine of our lives by manifesting His presence in healing and deliverance. 
God wants to interrupt. He wants to break up the routine of your, your daily oppression, your daily uh, uh, um, uh, uh, needs, and, and uh, things that we see going on. You know, routine has a way of hardening the soil. You turn on the news, all you have to see is that over the years, over the decades, and over just the recent months and years, you can see how the enemy has risen up upon the land and is hardening his position like a shell over our schools and education, over our government, over public policy, over cultural practices, over our music and over our art and over our people. A terrible and dark change has come upon our land. And we are now hardening into acceptance of perversion, acceptance of evil, acceptance of eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, acceptance of criticism and accusation. Where has forgiveness gone? Where has mercy gone? As I said, we have made a golden calf out of oppression. We look through society, we find who's been oppressed. And then we set them up like a golden calf and we justify they're turning against who they think oppressed them and practicing the oppression on them that they think was oppressed or they may have experienced on themselves. We are literally turning evil loose to chase evil. And it's hardening over our land like a condition. God is so desirous to break that up. He wants to rain mercy and grace. He wants to soften the hearts of people once again. Are you listening this morning? But we must interrupt our routine to cry out to him if we want him to not leave Jericho, but come back and interrupt the routine of oppression. Bartimaeus was living in a routine that he desperately wanted to be freed from the routine of blindness. He could have gone on and lived the rest of his life like this. He was getting by. But we are getting by with things that God wants to elevate, that God wants to deliver us from. And the problem with religion is religion is a fake salve that salves over the crusty routines of oppression of the enemy so that we can live with them. Jesus didn't come so that you can have faith in your heart and live with the oppression of this world. He came to set you free from the oppression of this world. Come on, church. Hallelujah. It's about time we lay hold of the reason why he laid hold of us. Glory to God. The Holy Spirit's reign. God says it's the time of reign. The Holy Spirit's reign is waiting for our cry. The clouds are filled with the reign of God's blessing, and they're waiting. Do I hear a cry coming from the land? In Zechariah 10 and 1, listen. Listen to what God says. Ask the Lord for rain. And the, the word ask can also be interpreted beg. You see, we don't like to cry out to God because we're a proud people. We're a self-reliant people. If you beg, what does it make you look like? A beggar. Nobody wants you. go out and buy clothes so you don't look like a beggar. You learn to speak a certain way so you don't appear to be a beggar. Nobody wants to look like a beggar. Nobody wants to look like they're not able to manage their lives, that they're not able to keep themselves composed or together. Beggars um, bring embarrassment on themselves. That beggar, Bartimaeus, got up, flung off his coat, 
um, <clears throat> awkwardly staggering, running blindly to Jesus. He didn't care. He was about to get healed. Glory to God. Amen? Hallelujah. But the problem is we don't see ourselves as blind Bartimaeus. We see ourselves as the people that were, um, I'm walking with Jesus. Jesus is walking through John. I'm standing. I'm with him. I'm walking with him. Doesn't matter that he's not doing anything and nothing's happening. I'm just with him. And that's the way the church is today. We're with Jesus. We want to let it be known we're with Jesus. But Jesus has walked into town to do something, to change some things, to, to move in his power and his glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And it took Bartimaeus, willing to act like a beggar. So Zechariah, God opens the prophet's mouth and says, Beg the Lord for rain. In the season of the latter rains, and the Lord who makes thunderstorms will give everyone clouds and showers of rain, green growth in their field. God wants to give you green growth in your field. God wants to lift that burden. He wants to take the limits that have limited you with evil and release you into his blessing, release you into his glory. He's wanting to do it. And so what does he say to precipitate that rain? He doesn't say, well, I prophesy through my prophet that the rain is coming, so just get ready. I really don't see in the scripture where God says to us at any time, just be passive, get ready. Get ready by just simply waiting, standing around waiting for me to do it. You know, the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, but do you know why it, it came into the upper room? It says there are 120 of them up there crying out to God for many days until they got in sync Till they got into one accord and one voice and one heart, all beating desperately, Jesus, send the promise that you've promised us. And bam, on the day of Pentecost, Holy Ghost fell. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak the word of God and pray in tongues and declare, and I'll tell you, God broke out. Hallelujah. He came into Jerusalem. This time he stayed. He didn't pass through. Glory to God. We don't need God passing through. We need God opening up and pouring out. Amen. So crying out prepares the ground. You might think, well, why do we need to cry out? I don't know about you, but I am one of those people that um, I want to know the mechanics of a thing. If a thing works, I want to know why it works. My, when I was a kid, my dad for Christmas would give me a model airplane or something, and it wouldn't be you know, very long, and I'd have that cockpit pulled off have the thing disassembled, because I wanted to see how that man did what he did on the inside. I wanted to see how it worked. And so I kind of had that engineer's mind, you know. I just wasn't satisfied to just let it do what it, it would do. So it would be in pieces. My dad would have to put it back together again. So I want to know, if God says cry out to me, I want to know why I should cry out to him. What does that do? Why is it necessary? If God is God, if God has all power over nature, and he knows what our need. Why doesn't he just do it? You know, that's what unsafe people accuse God of. Well, if he knows my need, why doesn't he just do something about it? Because God is not Santa Claus. And guess what? There is no Santa Claus. There's no free lunch. There's no Santa Claus. There's no fat white guy in a red suit who's going to squeeze himself down the chimney and leave a whole bunch of stuff for you. Just because you want it. God is not Santa. 
He's not Santa. God is relational. He is our king, our eternal king. We have entered into his kingdom. So we owe some deference and some communion and some fellowship with him. He has purposes in his kingdom. Hallelujah. But he wants to engage with us and for us to engage with him. So crying out, the Lord show me, crying out prepares the ground to receive the rain. Oh, the rain's coming. The rain is going to fall. Hosea says in Hosea 10 and 12, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. Everyone say, break up my fallow ground. You know what fallow ground is? Any farmers here know it? Um, Every few years in Israel, every seven years, they would let a piece of land that would normally, if you grew peas or if you grew wheat or corn, um, every seven years they let that field go fallow. They don't plant a crop. They don't put a plow blade into the ground. It gets hard. It gets crusty. Fallow ground's not pretty, by the way. If you've been around farms, ground that is left fallow just looks like a big weed patch. It doesn't have any attractiveness. It certainly has no fruitfulness to it. But it's important to let it go fallow because the soil is able then to um, re, uh, be replenished. And it's been used for seven years. The nutrients have been taken out of it. gives it time to replenish. But a productive farm never leaves all of its ground fallow year after year. Why? Because people would starve. There would be no, no produce. So God says, God says to Israel, and God says to us through Hosea, sow to yourselves righteousness and reap mercy. And now I'm going to tell you how to do it. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. So God says, it is time to rain righteousness on Clearwater. It's time to rain righteousness on your house. It's time to rain righteousness on our nation. You might think, it's time to rain righteousness on our nation. My God, you know, we're, the devil's running our nation and running our society and ruining our children. Well, God says, it's time for me to rain some righteousness. The Bible says, those that let, dwelt in darkness saw a great light. And your light shall arise out of obscurity. And where iniquity abounds, grace does much more abound. God is always, where it's darkest, God wants to break in. The light is the very enemy of darkness. Hallelujah. So you better believe it is the time of rain. It is the time of the visitation of God. Now is that time. Praise the Lord. And so Hosea is provoked by the Lord once again to speak to us and to say, Break up your fallow ground. Stop throwing your seed among thorns. What he is saying is, you're taking your seed and you're throwing it on that ground and it hasn't been plowed under. You need to go out and you need to get your, your, your plow, you need to get your instruments and break, those, break that ground, break up that crust, break those clods up, turn that soil over, rake out the weeds and Sow that seed and then get ready for the rain because the rain is coming. It is time. It is time. It is time. 
That's what God is saying. He's visiting people in their dreams. He's speaking to them in their prayer closets. He's waking up the prophets on the wall. He's putting fire in the pastors. He's trying to get congregations to come together and to cry out to him, to understand how valuable they are as the instruments of God. You can bring the downpour of the rain to clear water. You can bring the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You think, that's beyond me. How, how can I do that? You and God. God wants to work with you, but he will not work without you. Let me say it again. God wants to work through you, but he will not work without you. That's how important you are. You see the, you see the land. You see the oppression. God sees it. God wants to turn it. He wants to change it. But the change must begin with us. We must cry out to him. When you cry out to God, you're breaking up your fallow ground. Think about it. You're going from the routine of I get to church at such a time, I put my Bible on my seat, I do this, I go drink water, chat with my friends, blah, blah, sing some songs, clap my hands, sit down, listen to a message, uh, hug a few people, go home. And then maybe I pray on Wednesday, I don't know, you know, there's a, there's a routine. Whatever it is, you're comfortable with it, it's working for you, but it's not working for the land. It's working for you. But Bartimaeus, you're blind. Yeah, you're getting up every day, going to the same spot, begging, you've got your same life, but Bartimaeus, you could have your eyesight back. The city could have a visitation. The land could have a visitation of God. You could live in the day of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you want it? Do you want that? Do you? When you cry out to God, you're breaking up your fallow ground. You're changing your hardened routine, and you're preparing the ground of your life and that of your city so that the rain can penetrate with the life of God's answer. God wants to answer. He's got that answer. You've been seeking him for something. But it's time to cry out to him for it so that when that rain comes, it can penetrate your life with his answer. You know, God's complaint against Israel was always one thing. Even though he would complain sometimes about the way that they would sin or the way they'd backslide some of the things they would do in idol worshiping and fornicating and that sort of thing, there was always one thing that was the pinnacle of his complaint. Does anyone know what it was? What was God's number one pride complaint against Israel? It was that they don't act in the season of their visitation. That was the Lord's number one complaint. It wasn't just about their sins. It was the fact that when God visited them, they did not act. They did not receive him. They did not act. When Jesus passed through Jericho, they didn't do anything till finally one guy, as he's about to leave town, cries out to him. In Luke chapter 19, the Bible says, As Jesus approached and he saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept out loud over it, exclaiming, would that you had known personally, even at least in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Did you know that? Did you know that even though Jesus performed miracles, cleansed the temple, the things that he did, for the most part the city didn't refuse him. The city was in the hands of evil religious 
rulers, not just secular rulers, but the pastors did not want to admit that their church, their synagogue, their temple had become fallow ground and crusted over and hardened. They wouldn't admit it. They were too proud. And they wouldn't cry out to Jesus when he came into town. So he only healed a few people that would, were open to him. Are you listening? And did you know that Jesus came towards the end of his ministry and stood before Jericho and began to weep and cry out loud and say, why didn't you cry out to me in the hour of your visitation? But now your eyes are closed, your eyes are blind. And Jesus was taken from them. Jericho, not too many years afterwards, or excuse me, Jerusalem, not too many years afterwards, was wiped out, raised to the ground in the year of 70 AD, destroyed. In Psalm 74 and verse 9, God's people cried out to him in Psalm 74. And when they cried out to him, it says they cried out to him because they had been stripped naked of their covering signs. They cried out to him and they said, we see no longer any signs, our signs of your presence. That's amazing. Listen, they didn't just look around and say, where's the miracles? Where are the miracles that we've heard of? Where, where's the parting of the Red Sea? Where, where are the del supernatural deliverances? They're no longer happening. They cried out to God for those things. They said, those are our signs. We are Israel. We are known among the nations as the people whose God works miracles on their behalf. Those are our badges. Those are our, our, our unit insignia. They identify us who we are among the nations. When our armies go out, our praisers go before them. Are you listening? Do you understand? Those are our signs. If we don't have those signs, we're just like everybody else. So church, I say to you today, can we cry out like they cried out in Psalm 74 and say, we don't see our signs. Where are our signs? Where is the church that's crying out for the signs of healing? the supernatural manifestation of miracles, the signs of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the signs of the visitation of God, the signs of, of long periods of time of believers spontaneously gathering and praying and crying out to God together and seeking the Lord. Days go into weeks, weeks go into months, months go into years, and we have routine, but nobody's breaking up the fallow routine to bring crying out to God into our land. And so we don't see our signs because if God is not being brought down like the rain upon the land, then he's the one with the signs. God is our signs. God who opens the eyes of the blind. God who works miracles. He is our sign. And so we have his theology, but we need his presence. So we see not our signs. You know, people... Preachers today use what I call excuse theology. They develop theology to explain and to comfort their congregations as to why the things that Jesus said in the gospel aren't happening today. They literally craft theologies that teach that God is impotent or worse yet, he's he doesn't love us like he loved us 2,000 years ago. When he loved people 2,000 years ago, he opened the eyes of the blind. He delivered them from demonic oppression. Are you listening? That's how God loved people 2,000 years ago. But today he loves them in a less of a, a different way. 
I want that love. I'm not interested in this love. I want the love that Jesus manifests. Jesus turned the city inside out. Jesus cast out devils. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus rose the dead. Hallelujah. Dratically, drastically, drastically. I think I just took drastic and radical. I, that was a preacherism right there. Preachers always do that. Just make words up. Radastically. Jesus moved through the city and transformed lives. But preachers today use excuse theology. They teach their people. They rob the signs from the people. They tell them, those, those aren't your signs. God's, God's not giving those signs anymore. And they try to make them comfortable with living without them. Just keep quiet. Stop. Do you see? Where are the preachers? They're silencing Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. That's where the preachers are. They're telling Bartimaeus, cool down, buddy. Stop it. Don't make a fuss. Hey, we've got Jesus. He's passing through. Yes, the rain is coming. But when that rain comes, I don't want to just have a momentary refreshing and then run off. You see, that's not revival. That's not the visitation of God. The rain is coming. The rain is going to fall. It's going to fall on clear water, but are we going to be penetrated by it? Are we? Are we going to be penetrated? Is it going to go down and touch the word and make it spring to life within us and produce fruit? Or is it just going to run off because we're hardened in a religious routine? I can't make it any more plain than that. I hope you're hearing the message that I'm bringing to you today because God is bringing it to you. God is saying to us, the rain is coming. It is the time of rain. Cry out to me. See, God is going to send the rain, but crying out breaks your fallow ground up. It breaks your routine up. It causes you to pray for that rain during times when you would normally be driving to Walmart and just listening to the radio. Do you understand? Kind of understand what I'm saying to you. When we don't cry out to God in the season of the rain, when it's time for rain to come, then it just comes with, and it produces a momentary refreshing. We all see it in the summertime. Rain comes down, and then, you know, within minutes, it's vapor on the road just rising up on that hard surface. But if that were all broken up and the, that soil made soft, that soil was crying out to God. It was broken up. That rain would go in. It wouldn't just run off. And then where there was hard asphalt, where there was just hard dirt crust, you would see green popping up. You would see whatever was sown in there would start to come out. You know, throughout the Bible, they would cry out to God for a number of things. They would cry out to God for deliverance from evil. Do you see evil? Do you see that we need to be delivered from evil? Cry out to God for it. Crying out to God for healing from disease. That's exactly what blind Barnabas did. What can I do for you? Oh, that I might be healed of my blindness. Fine, you cried out to me. I, I want to heal your blindness. Praise the Lord. Deliverance from barrenness. Barren women would cry out to God. They would go years being barren, not able to have children. But they were living with it. And if you live with it, God will let you live with it. If you live with it, God will let you live with it. It's when you make, when you break up that family and say, I'm not living with it anymore. What did Rachel say? Give me children or else I die. She was breaking up the family ground. God said, all right, I hear you. 
and he gave her. And women like her, they just didn't receive children. They received prophets. When God reigns on that land, it produces the kingdom of God. People cried out to God for his covenant to be fulfilled. Don't just say, well, the word says. People do that all the time. They run and say, well, the word says. Well, the word says. Yeah, but what are you saying? Are you making a point of breaking up your fallow ground with what the word says? Make a point of it. Cry out to God with what the word says. Don't just say, well, the word says. God knows what the word says. He doesn't need to just be reminded. He needs to be appealed to. Praise the Lord. Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he come and reign righteousness. This is what I'd like us to do as I close this message out. Consider breaking your routine. Whenever you do Monday through Sunday, break up your routine and, and take times to seek God's outpouring. Cry out to God for his outpouring. Do it in unique ways during unique times, times that you don't normally do it. Begin to cry out to God at times when you would normally just be going along, you know, whistling a tune, doing something else. Bring God into areas of your routine where presently you're not crying out to him. You're just living your routine. You see, God's glad that you love him. It pleases the Father that, that as you go through your routine, you do it as a Christian with faith in your heart. That's wonderful, but it's not enough if you want to see the God of miracles. It's not enough if you want to see the rain upon the land. If you want to see evil stop prevailing and a turnaround, then you have to do more than just live as a Christian. You need to cry out to the Lord. And so I encourage you. God said to Zechariah, the Lord who causes thunderstorms will come and give everyone showers of rain and green growth in their field, if you will cry out to me. Isn't that awesome? That is just tremendous. So this message this morning is a call to rise above our routines, good as they may be. And let's break up our routine and bring the prayer of Lord, send revival. Send the Holy Spirit. Manifest yourself in healing. Let yourself dream let yourself imagine the great things that God can do and then cry out to him and insist that he do them through you. Close your Bible, stand with me. I know it was kind of quiet in here this morning. Praise the Lord. It's all right. You're probably just taking it in. Praise the Lord. But I pray that you do take it in. And that the Lord will really just, just encourage you. Wow, I can, be, I can be a catalyst. I can be a facilitator. Nobody sees me. Nobody thinks I'm capable of anything. I'm not known for anything awesome or special. But in the kingdom of God, I am awesome. In the kingdom of God, I am special. In the kingdom of God, I can, I can do things in prayer, I can do things with God that will change the city, that will change the nation, that will change the world. Little old you, hallelujah. So be encouraged today. Be encouraged. Capture the vision and know that the Almighty God, by the Holy Spirit, is saying to the church, saying to you and I today, it is time. 
this is the time for the rain. It is time. Begin to expand. Break up the fallow ground. And when that rain comes, you'll retain every bit of it. And the growth will take place in your life, in our lives, and here in our land. Father God, we come to your presence this morning. We just give you praise, Lord, for you are the King of glory, upholding all things by the word of your power. And yet today, Lord, we see this wonderful thing that you have given humanity called the will. We have a will. We see the fruit of our using that will and allowing other people to use that will most of the time in their ignorance to use it for evil purposes. Many times not even knowing that they are letting darkness come in through the things they believe and the ways they act. But Lord, you have opened up our eyes and given us an understanding that we may know you. And with that understanding, we can open doors that reverse the darkness that we see upon the land. Please, Father God, stir up the Holy Spirit within us today. Let us leave this place with a new zeal and an eagerness to be the voice that brings down the rain, that prepares the ground. Let it be in us today, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, put that assignment in every heart that hears me speak today, I pray. We thank you for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever, Jesus. Reign, hallelujah, for you are Lord of glory. And everyone said amen.